I often begin my sermons with a story or an illustration, sometimes a more humorous um, one. But today, um, I need to begin my sermon with a confession that there is a large part of me that does not want to preach on today's text, if I'm honest. Um, we are continuing our, our sermon series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, this sermon is one that Jesus preached sort of on a mountainside and, and is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And as we're going through this sermon, we're preaching through every verse, every section in this sermon. And so the next section that we're looking at today is Jesus addressing the, t- the topic of divorce um, and also the topic of keeping our word. And Jesus has some strong words on this issue. Um, and so as I enter into this um, sermon today, I have some fear and trembling a little bit at, at praying that God would, would give me the right words um, as, I, as we unpack what God says in his word. But, you know, I'm not alone in my trepidation um, because actually one of the commentaries I was reading this week, um, John Stott, who's like, you know, this great man of the faith and has written tons of books, he wrote this in, in his commentary on this passage. He says, I confess to a basic reluctance to attempt an exposition of these verses. So he, he could kind of relate to, to what I'm feeling maybe a little bit today. Um, and he says, this is partly because divorce is a controversial and complex subject, but even more because it is a subject which touches people's emotions at a deep level. There is almost no unhappiness so poignant as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage, and almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love and fulfillment into a non-relationship of bitterness, discord, and despair. It's a heavy topic. It is a heavy reality right, in our world. Um, and the reality is that most people have been affected by the reality of divorce in one way or another. Um, whether you have gone through a divorce yourself, or your parents are divorced, or you have seen the impact of divorce in the life of someone close to you, a, a sibling, or uh, your own child, or a close friend. And so I want you to know that I am seeking to approach this topic today with sensitivity and compassion. Um, I have no desire to add to anyone's pain this morning, because you know, it is a painful reality. It is a painful reality. But even though there's a part of me that, that because of that just wants to sort of skip over these verses, I can't. And I know that it's actually important for me to preach on this passage for a couple of reasons. First, it's important that when we study the Bible, we face passages that are challenging and difficult. Um, this passage is just as much the Word of God as any other verse in the Bible. And so we need to be willing to listen to it, um, to seek to understand it, and to be open to how God may want to use these verses in our lives. And the second reason to preach on this is because divorce does affect so many of us in so many ways. And so it's important to listen to what God's word says on this topic and what Jesus himself said, because our opinions about divorce, our thoughts about divorce, should not be shaped by what our culture says, but what God's word says. And so we need to hear what God's word says. Because if we're only hearing what the culture says, then we're missing out on how we should actually think about this topic. So as, as, uh, as challenging as it is, 
my prayer is that, that, that we would be encouraged and, um, and learn through God's word as he, as he speaks to us today. And so in today's passage, um, we are continuing in this section that um, I introduced two weeks ago where Jesus is talking about a greater righteousness um, that he introduced uh, earlier in, in chapter five. And we talked about that, that as Jesus talks about this greater righteousness, he's talking about a righteousness that goes beyond external rule keeping, um, which is characterized by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to an internal righteousness of the heart. So not just sort of keeping the law on the, on the surface, but going deeper and having a righteousness at the heart. And so last week we saw how Jesus did that with two commands, the command about not murdering and the command about not committing adultery. And we saw that Jesus dug deeper below those, that it's not just about not killing people or not having it, but it's also about the anger in our hearts. It's also about the lust in our hearts. Um, and so today what we're going to look at is how Jesus does the same thing with uh, two issues, this issue of divorce and also the issue of um, our speech and, and our, the honesty of our speech. So my sermon title this morning is Keeping Your Word. Um, and we're going to see that this, this, this kind of idea, this, this uh, idea of keeping your word flows and, and applies to both of these topics as it, as it relates to divorce and also to sort of the way that we speak. Um, and so um, our text today is Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 31 through 37, which is on page 684 in the Pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along there. So this is again Jesus speaking as he preaches here on this sermon, Matthew 5, beginning with verse 31. Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear your word this morning. Give us an openness in our hearts to hear even challenging words that you say to us in your word. Give us understanding to help understand really what you were saying here, Jesus. And I pray most of all, Lord, that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, the, the, the overarching idea that we're going to be looking at in, in today's passage is this idea of keeping your word. And so um, in your bulletins, there's a little um, insert that you can use if you'd like to follow along. And, and the first point that we're going to be looking at today is keeping your word in marriage. Uh, that is the, the topic that Jesus brings before us at the beginning of our passage. Um, you know, when, a, when a, a, a man and a woman get married, they make a promise to one another, um, to take one another as husband and wife, as the vows often say, till death do us part, right? That is what we often see in a, in a wedding ceremony. And, and this is God's intention. God's intention for marriage has always been 
a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Um, And we see this actually in another passage in Matthew's gospel where Jesus also addresses the the question of divorce. He he unpacks it a little bit more in more detail um, later on in Matthew chapter 19. So we're going to also be kind of looking at that parallel passage today. Um, And so in that passage, some Pharisees, who he again is sort of addressing the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount, but um, these Pharisees come and ask Jesus about divorce. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 19, uh, verses 4 through 6. He says, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And he goes on to say, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So when Jesus asked about divorce, he actually doesn't initially talk about divorce, but he talks about marriage. He goes back to what marriage is, what marriage is meant to be. And he, and he goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, um, and, and, he, and he says that when God first created humanity, he created them male and female. And he says that, that, that as he brought these two individual male and female, Adam and Eve, together, that they became one flesh. Um, and so Jesus says then, what God has joined together as one flesh, let man not separate that they are meant to be joined together for life. That is God's intention for marriage. And so even today, a a bride and a groom, um, often they say vows in a wedding ceremony, right? And and they vow, they they give their word to each other that they will be faithful to one another, that they will stay committed to one another till death do us part. That is God's intention for marriage. That is what it means to keep your word in marriage. But... That doesn't always happen, does it? We know it doesn't, right? We live in a broken world full of broken people, and that means that there are also broken marriages and broken promises, and there are all kinds of reasons that that happens. It's a complexity, right, of, of what leads a marriage that, that when you see the bride and groom so happy on their wedding day, making these vows to each other, and then years later, Again, that relationship is devolved into something that is not what God intended, and and there's a brokenness there. That wasn't what God intended, and yet that is the reality of the sinful world that we live in. Um, And the thing is that that divorce is not something that just started in our day. This was a reality that existed way back, even in ancient Israel. Um, And so in in one of the the books of the law that... uh, we actually have Moses in the book of Deuteronomy talking about divorce. Um, In in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, um, Moses describes a scenario where he says this. He says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house— And then it kind of goes on from there to explain sort of a a bunch of ifs. If this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. And the particular scenario that that, that Deuteronomy 24 is talking about is where a a woman, where where there's been a divorce, and a woman then remarries, um, but then her second husband also divorces her, or he dies. 
then in that scenario, Deuteronomy 4 says that, that, that then she, that the first husband, where the first divorce happened, is not allowed to remarry her again. Um, and, and we might be kind of puzzled, like, what, what's going on with this whole law, right? But part of, not going into all the detail, I'm not preaching on Deuteronomy 24 today, so, um, but, 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 but to just kind of touch the surface of it, is that part of what, what Moses is saying, what God is saying here, is that if that first husband divorces his wife, he needs to take it seriously. You can't just sort of divorce and then say, well, now we'll just get back together again. And part of what he's saying is that, that divorce is serious. And because of that, marriage is serious. Marriage is serious. It's not something that you just sort of jump in and jump out of and, and jump back and forth into it. But here's the thing. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees latched onto this verse. And they latched onto this mention that Moses talks about here, a certificate of divorce. And so what the Pharisees did was that they argued that, you know what? Hey, Moses talks about a certificate of divorce here. So if you're unpleased with your spouse, just offer them a certificate of divorce and you're good to go. Because Moses said that we can do that. Um, and so one school of thought, there was some debate at the time of Jesus about what actually was um, a legitimate cause for divorce, what could actually be legitimate. Um, and one school of thought actually interpreted Deuteronomy 24.1 by saying that if a husband found anything displeasing or indecent about um, his wife, he could divorce her, even something as minor as burning his food. That, that the Pharisees said, well, hey, you burn my food. I'm giving you a certificate of divorce, right? So that was, because that was, what was going on here? What, what's Jesus been talking about throughout this sermon about the Pharisees? Well, um, this is what he references, actually what Jesus references at the beginning of our passage. In verse 31, he says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. This is what the Pharisees were saying, right? And, and what the Pharisees were saying was they were emphasizing that, hey, as long as you give them a certificate of divorce, then you're okay. doesn't matter why, right? As long as you fulfill the letter of the law, the surface, right? You give that certificate. Moses talked about a certificate, then you're okay. And so this is another example, as we've seen, that, that the Pharisees are focused on external rule following, but they're missing the deeper issue of what, is going on here. Um, so, you know, they said, if, as long as you follow that rule, giving a certificate of divorce, then you're okay. You can claim to be righteous. Um, we saw this last week. The Pharisees said, hey, as long as you don't, as long as you don't murder someone, you're okay. What did Jesus say? No, no, no. That commandment is meant to talk about something deeper, that actually even if you have anger and hatred in your heart towards someone, you're actually, you're on your way to murder. You're also guilty of sin. The Pharisees said, hey, as long as you don't commit adultery, you're okay. And, and Jesus says, no, you can even have lust in your heart, and that's the thing that leads to adultery. So even that lust is also sinful. And, and so here the Pharisees say, well, as long as you give your wife a certificate of divorce, you're okay. So you can imagine Jesus was not satisfied with this external rule-following approach to the topic of marriage and divorce. And so if we go back to Matthew 19, after Jesus kind of initially points the, the Pharisees to Genesis 1 and 2, where he says, this is what marriage is all about, right? It's meant to be this thing where they become one flesh and man should not separate it. Then the Pharisees bring up this question to him. They say there in Matthew 19, verse 7, they say, well, why then did Moses command that a, white, that a man may give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Right? They bring up this issue, this question. 
And so this is Jesus' reply. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So Jesus says that that divorce was never God's intention. Moses only permitted divorce, he says, because your hearts were hard. It was only because of the sinfulness of humanity that divorce was even permitted as a possibility in ancient Israel. And again, we live in a broken world and there is sin and there is there's stuff that happens in marriages that lead to divorce. And, and so again, Jesus is saying it was never meant to be this way. And yet there's this permission because of the hardness of human hearts, because of the reality of sin. And so if we go back now to, to our passage in the Sermon on the Mount, after referencing this external rule-following emphasis of the Pharisees about just pre- pre- presenting a certificate of divorce, Jesus does the same thing that we saw last week. He digs deeper. And so he says this in verse 32. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now I just want to say That is a challenging verse. That's a challenging verse. But just like we saw last week, Jesus, what he's doing here is he's getting to the root of an issue. He says that, you know, just as anger is the root behind murder, and just as lust is the root behind adultery, so here Jesus is saying that behind divorce often is something deeper. And the thing that he's kind of pointing out here is that it is often a cheapened view of marriage of not taking what marriage really is meant to be seriously. And so he uses strong language to to point out the seriousness of divorce. He's saying it's not just a legal contract that you can just, you know, give a certificate here or there. He's saying it's a messy thing that involves real people that tears apart something that was meant to be a lifelong commitment. Now, Jesus, as he, as he says this, he does give this one exception where he says where divorce actually is permitted. And here he identifies that. He says, except for marital unfaithfulness. The, uh, the Greek word that Jesus uses here is this word porneia, which is a word that, that is kind of a broad word that, that can refer to any sort of sexual immorality. And so, so what Jesus is saying here is that he's, he's, he's allowing for divorce in a situation where a spouse has been unfaithful to their marriage vows. In other words, where where they had not kept their word in marriage, but they had gone outside of the marriage uh, commitment um, by being unfaithful to their spouse. And so part of what Jesus is saying here is that in that situation, the unfaithful spouse has actually already broken the marriage relationship through their unfaithfulness. And so therefore, there is a, a division that's already happened in many ways because of that. Now, like I said at the beginning of my sermon, the topic of divorce is complex and very emotional. Um, and, and this is not the only passage that talks about divorce in the Bible or in, even in the New Testament. Um, in fact, in, in, in one of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul indicates that, that desertion or abandonment um, by an unbelieving spouse is another exception that would allow for divorce or remarriage. Um, and, and today, many Christians sort of look at some of the things that, that we see in the New Testament and would say that, that, that also abuse in a relationship might be one of those exceptions as well because it sort of is, it's, it's, it's not keeping your word in marriage of, of what they're committing to do. And, um, 
And here's the reality. Unfortunately, I do not have the, the ability this morning to address all of the complexities of all the divorces that have ever happened in this world, right? Um, or even to address fully what all of the Bible talks about on this topic. Um, and the reality is, too, I want to acknowledge that there are different opinions among Christians about how to apply the Bible's teaching on divorce. And so there are different opinions within churches and denominations and, and individual people. And so I just want to say that, that, that if you are wrestling with this in your own life, and you're wrestling with what is God wanting to say, and, and you're feeling, again, maybe even some pain in, in even talking about this topic, um, that I am, I'm a preacher right now, but I'm also a pastor. And so um, I just want you to know that if, if, you, if you feel like you, want, you need to talk this through, that I want, I'm, I'm available to just be there to maybe help counsel pastor care for you in the midst of this, of whatever maybe God may be stirring up there. So just to say that. Um, but I hope that we're seeing at least the general thrust of what Jesus is saying in this passage, which is that people should not take lightly the commitment of marriage. People should not take that lightly. Um, and the, the reality is that our culture, what our culture says about divorce, is actually very similar to the perspective of the Pharisees. Um, the, a common perspective in our culture is that if you, you feel like you're no longer compatible with your spouse or, or you sort of fall out of love with your spouse or, or, or you're just not as happy as you once were, then why not divorce? You know, that it's, it's a good option. Maybe there's someone else out there who's more compatible, and so why not move on from that person on to the next one? And Jesus is challenging that perspective. He is. He's challenging that perspective of saying, no, 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 Marriage is something that you enter into with before God. It's a vow you're making. It's, your, it's a word that you're keeping to that person. And so you should enter into it with, with, with great um, honor and, and, and recognizing the, the, the significance of it. But also that as you're thinking about whether to end that marriage, you need to take very seriously that possible decision. Um, it's not something just to jump in and out of because of your personal happiness or sense of compatibility. As Jesus said, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And so we are called to keep our word in marriage. But at the same time, marriage is also not meant to be something that you just stay in just out of obligation. Um, just because, you know, well, I guess I'm, so I'm just going to just stay in this, this frozen sort of thing that, and I'm gonna, we're going to be married in name, but we're actually not really married, right? That's not God's intention either. Um, marriage is meant to be a relationship that is marked by sacrificial love for one another, uh, for mutual sharing and giving. Um, there's a reason that, that, that the passage that Becky read earlier from 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage that's, that's read at almost every wedding, right? Um, because it gives us picture, even though Paul didn't write it for weddings, to be honest. The, the context in 1 Corinthians 13 is not necessarily that. But, but there's a reason we read it at weddings. Because it gives this beautiful picture of what love is meant to be, of what marriage is meant to be. Um, that's a description of what marriage should be. And, and as we've said earlier, the, the greater righteousness that Jesus is talking about, it goes beyond just external rule following. It's meant to go to the heart, to in, the internal righteousness of the heart. And so it's not just about saying, well, we're going to stay married because we don't want to break that external law. But it's to say, no, what does it mean to actually have internal righteousness where we seek to actually love one another deeply. And, and what does that look like in a marriage, to move towards that together? Um, and that's also what it means to keep your word in marriage, to actually be willing to say, we're going to love one another in this sacrificial kind of way. Now, 
stay with me. I know this is heavy. This is hard. There's some good news coming, okay? But I want to take another, a, a next look just at, at the next section that Jesus talks about in, cha- in the, the next point, which is that he, he broadens the topic now to not just talk about keeping your word in marriage, but also keeping your word in everyday life. And so um, let's see how Jesus addresses this in the next couple of verses. In verse 33 of our text, he says this, Again, you've heard it, that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Um, the Old Testament law talks about oaths. It talks about vows. Actually, that passage in Ecclesiastes that we heard earlier too, read, that talked about making your vows and not breaking those vows, not breaking those oaths. Um, in, in the Old Testament law, again, God gives some, some specific instructions about this. And in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, we read, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Um, in Leviticus 19, verse 12, it says, Do not swear falsely by my name. This is God speaking. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. But here's what the Pharisees did. Once again, they try to scratch the surface. They try to make an external rule that, that will make them say we're righteous. And so what they did with this was that they, they, again, they missed the deeper part of God's law. What they said was, well, what, what these verses are saying is about taking an oath in the name of the Lord. So they said, you know, we can't break an oath if we do it in the name of the Lord. But they said, but if we make an oath in the name of heaven and earth, or an oath in the name of Jerusalem, or, or my head, or then it's not, I'm not bound to it. So I can make those kind of oaths, and then we can break them, because they're not breaking the law, the law about um, an oath in the name of the Lord. I didn't, I didn't swear by the Lord. I didn't take the Lord's name in vain. So it's okay to break those kind of oaths. And Jesus once again says, you guys are missing the point, right? Uh, he exposes their hypocrisy and he digs deeper when he says in verses 34 and 36, but I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. This is obviously before uh, hair coloring, you know, was, was a reality. So, <laughs> um, but basically what Jesus is saying here is that if you're swearing by these other things, you're still making that oath before God because Heaven is God's footstool, is, 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 is God's abode, is his throne. And, and if you're swearing by the earth, well, that's God's footstool. And if you're swearing by Jerusalem, well, that's God's city. And if you're swearing by your head, even that is not really yours, it's God's. And so he says, if you break these other oaths that are not in the name of the Lord, you're just as guilty as breaking an oath in the name of the Lord. Either way, you're breaking your oath. You're breaking your word. You're not keeping your word. And so Jesus says, don't swear at all. Don't make these sort of, these, these additional things. Don't use these phrases that make it sound like, well, now you're really going to tell the truth. Like you don't usually tell the truth. So now I'm going to really tell the truth. So I'll make this, this I'll swear, right? In our world, it, it's, it's phrases like we hear this all the time, right? I swear to God. People say that, right? Or cross my heart and hope to die, right? These, these kind of additional things that people say to say, now I'm really going to tell you the truth. Maybe you couldn't, count on me before, but now, now you, 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 you will. Jesus says, don't do that. 
We shouldn't need to swear or take oaths to convince someone that you're actually going to keep your word this time. And so Jesus concludes this by saying in verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. He says, speak the truth. Keep your word. Say yes when you mean yes. Say no when you mean no. And that can be sometimes hard to do, right? Sometimes when we, we, we say yes when we don't want to disappoint the other person, but we actually don't really intend on doing what we say we're going to do. Um, or we say no, but, you know, we, we really kind of realize we, we're, we're maybe going to do that thing that we're saying no to. Jesus says, when you give your word, keep your word. Don't add on these other phrases. Don't look for loopholes to justify times when you, you don't really need to keep your word. So once again, in both of these areas, what's Jesus doing? He's raising the bar. He's raising the bar in both of these areas. Um, and as I said in my first sermon in this series, one of the things that we have to expect from the Sermon on the Mount is that we're going to feel convicted in moments by Jesus' teaching that we're going to realize that we don't measure up to what Jesus is saying here. And, and so the reality is that, that maybe you have been through a divorce and you're feeling the weight of what Jesus is saying here today. Maybe you're married and you're feeling convicted of, of how well you are truly loving your spouse and keeping your word to the vows that you have made to that person Maybe you're realizing that you haven't been fully honest with someone recently, that you didn't keep your word about saying that you would do something or, or something that you said that you wouldn't do. And maybe you're feeling the weight of the law today, the weight of your sin, the weight of your failure to follow Jesus' words perfectly. And if that's you, I have some good news for you today. Because my final point today is that God keeps his word to us. That we don't always keep our word. In marriage, in everyday life, but God always keeps his word. And Jesus always kept his word. And one of the things that we talked about two weeks ago is that really only Jesus perfectly embodies the greater righteousness that he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. Only Jesus keeps these laws perfectly. But he did. Jesus only, he, he kept his word in every moment. He always spoke the truth. He never had to add to it by saying, I swear this, or I, you know, he spoke the truth. And he kept his, his word perfectly in relationships. And Jesus never married, but he was absolutely faithful in every relationship that he had. And he lived out this perfect righteousness in our place. Because we can't. Because we don't. He knew that we couldn't. And so he came into this world to live out this law perfectly for us. And then he paid for our unrighteousness our sin, our failure to keep our word in marriage, our failure to keep our word in everyday life, and he took the judgment that we deserve for breaking our word, for breaking our vows. He, he took what we deserve in our place on the cross. 
and then he credits his perfect righteousness to us. So that when God looks at us, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see the ways that you have not lived up to this. He actually sees Jesus. He sees Christ's righteousness covering you. We sang this actually in the opening hymn this morning. We sang, my hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price for all my sin at Calvary. And then that next verse goes on to say, no merit of my own, his anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. It's only in his righteousness that we have any hope in that song Cornerstone that we sang earlier that, that comes from that, 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 the hymn, The Solid Rock. We said, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, how? Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. We don't stand before God in our own righteousness because we don't have it. That's dirty rags, our, our own attempts. But we stand before God in Christ's righteousness that covers us for all of our failures, for all of the ways that we've fallen short. And we can know that that is true because God keeps his word to us. And when he promises that he will do that for us, we can know that he will do that for us. When he promises forgiveness and mercy and cleansing and Christ's righteousness credited to us, we can know that he will keep that promise because he always keeps his word. And so you don't need to worry if God will forgive you for that thing that you did in the past. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry if Jesus' blood actually covers this part of my past because Jesus says, it does. I've paid for it in full. And you don't need to wonder if God will really accept you even when you keep struggling with that sin or you keep struggling to keep your word in this or that situation. He promises this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's his promise to us. That if we just are honest with our God and we come to him, he will keep his word. This morning we have the opportunity to come to communion. And as we come to communion to the Lord's table, we are invited to do what we just heard in 1 John 1, 9, to confess our sins that we can be honest with God about the ways that, that we have not kept our word. Maybe in marriage, maybe in other relationships, maybe in everyday life. And maybe you're still wrestling with even, you know, what is it that I have to confess or, or not? And just bring it all to him. He, he can hear you. He can, he can take it, all of it. And as we confess our sin to the Lord, as we come to communion and acknowledge that we need his cleansing, we need his forgiveness for whatever that may be, he speaks his word to us, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. He has covered all your sin and he promises you his forgiveness and his cleansing. And here's the amazing thing, that guess what he calls all of us who come to the table, who receive this good news, who hear this, this, this word to us, he calls us his church, 
his children, and he also calls us his bride. He uses the image of marriage to talk about us in relationship to Christ. And here's the really amazing thing, that even when we are unfaithful to him, he never divorces us. He never breaks that vow. He never, he always comes to us with faithfulness and love and forgiveness and mercy and he washes us and he presents us, even though we are sinners, even though we don't deserve it, he presents us as a pure and spotless bride. Not because of our righteousness, but because of Christ's. And he promises us that, that our marriage to him will never, ever end. In the marriage feast of the Lamb that we are looking forward to as all of us are brought before our groom, Jesus, into his presence, to our Father, to our Savior, to our Redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that this is a hard word, it is a, and, and I, I just pray, Lord, that anything that, that I've spoken today that, that isn't from you, that you would just let it wash away, that it would be chaff in the wind, but anything that is from you, Lord, and we know that your word is from you, that, that we would hear it, that we would come under it, Lord, and, and, and allow you to examine our hearts. And if there's something here, Lord, that you're pressing into us, that you're calling us to bring before you, to confess, to acknowledge a way that we've fallen short, Lord, I pray that you would give us the, the ability, the humility to just acknowledge that to you. And say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean. Purify me. And we thank you that because we know that Jesus has died to cover all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, that when we come to you in that way, we know that your answer is that we are forgiven, that we are cleansed, that we are righteous in Christ. And so I pray that you would help us to stand boldly in that today, Lord. Regardless of our past, regardless of our present, regardless of the ways that we have fallen short, that we today would stand boldly before you knowing that we are righteous in Christ, that we are cleansed, we are forgiven, we are your sons and your daughters, we are your beautiful bride that you have bought with your own blood, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness, your commitment to us. We rejoice in that, Lord, even though we don't deserve it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.